you for downloading the Sunday Sermon from Sunday, December 29th, as we look at the book of Ezekiel in the Gospel Project. For more information about Paragon Church, please visit ParagonChurch.com. Today, I've already mentioned it, it is the last Sunday of 2019. It's also the last Sunday of the tens and teens, and uh, we will be getting together for the next time in the 2020s, as crazy as that is to think about. And something that we've done routinely uh, at the last Sunday of every year, the last Sunday in December, is we have taken communion. And this is uh, no different today. And as we're doing this, um, one of the great things is, is that we're continuing to walk through the gospel project at the same time with those kids are getting ready to go out and do. Uh, they're getting ready to do Ezekiel 37. And the great thing about Ezekiel 37 is it fits great with communion. So God had kind of ordained this already in the past, and he's ready for this to happen for us this morning. And, you know, one of my favorite passages in the book of Ezekiel, probably one of my favorite passages in all of the Bible is Ezekiel 37. If you know anything about Ezekiel 37, it's where God takes Ezekiel to the valley of the dry bones. And God says, son of man, is there any chance that these bones can live? And I love Ezekiel's response, and that is, maybe you've heard of it. He says, God, only you know. You're the only one that can figure that one out. And he brings life. God brings life to this very dead, dry bones, valley full full of them, brings life to it. And the whole passage for us and the way that we can apply it is that God brings life from death. And that's what we celebrate here at the table today. And I'm not talking about just just kind of dead. I'm not sure if you've ever seen The Princess Bride with, with uh, Billy Crystal. And, and he says, ah, uh, ah, uh, ah, uh, he's just mostly dead. He's not all the way dead. He's just mostly dead, which means he's slightly alive. But the difference there is, is that we were never just mostly dead. We were all the way dead. We were like those bones in the dry valley. And the crazy thing I started to think about was, I, I was looking at, back at my notes, and times I've talked about Ezekiel 37 in the past, and I came across the last time I talked about it. It was December 30th, 2012, and we did it for a communion service. We did it to wrap it up, and I started looking over it, and the funny thing is, I'm like, you know, I could just be that guy that recycles a message. And I started looking at it, I'm like, well, I can't use the illustrations, because I use the illustrations about replacement refs. Remember that game? Uh, Ryan, replacement refs uh, uh, that, that ended it all and, and all the things that went with that. I talked about Hurricane Sandy. I talked about things. And I'm like, well, I can't very well do that since it's seven years. But most of you, either you weren't here or you have forgotten what I've talked about seven years ago. So I could have done it. But as I was reading through it, I was reading through Ezekiel chapter 37. One of the things I looked at, I said, you know, Ezekiel chapter 36 actually sets up Ezekiel chapter 37. And the more that I read through Ezekiel chapter 36, it really grabbed my attention. It really grabbed what I was thinking about for what communion brings together and the things that God has done for us and in us and through us, even in spite of us. And this began to to kind of grow. So what I want to do today is I want to look at Ezekiel chapter 36. Ezekiel chapter 36, we're going to be looking at verses 22 through 32, with a small point probably to Ezekiel 37 as well, because the kids are going to be talking about that, and you'll have a chance to, if you want to sit down as a family and talk about life coming from death, you'll be able to see that as they go through Ezekiel 37. But today, as we've gone through the Gospel Project, 
you will know, just kind of set the stage, set the backdrop for all of this. As we've gone through the gospel projects, we've been talking about the prophets. And the prophet's job has been to speak to Israel about their disobedience, to speak to Israel about their sin, speak to Israel about the rebellion and the coming consequences. Well, when we get to Ezekiel here, we are in the midst of God's plan coming together as he sent the punishment down for them to go into exile. And we'll talk more about it really through the month of January because we're going to take the whole month of January and look at the book of Daniel. But as we're doing that, before we get to Daniel, as you can see in this, there's Ezekiel. And Ezekiel was a prophet who was taken into exile and was used by God to speak to the people of what was coming next. And not just what was coming next, but he was going to say, eventually you're going to get out of exile. Eventually life is going to come back into these dry bones of my house Israel. Eventually some things are going to happen. And eventually it's going to be bigger than just what I'm going to do right here in Israel. But there's going to be a new covenant that comes along. And in that new covenant, there's going to be my son who's going to step in, who's going to live and who's going to die and who's going to rise again for your sake. And this is the relationship I'm going to have with my people as time happens. And this is what he's speaking through Ezekiel. And as we're looking at this, I want you to see it from the perspective of the table we're going to sit at today. The table that we're going to come to as we take communion. Hopefully I've given you enough time to find Ezekiel in your Bible, because I know it just doesn't naturally open up there. But Ezekiel chapter 36, we're going to read verses 22 through 32. Here's what it says. Therefore, say to the house of Israel, this is what the Lord God says. It is not for your sake that I will act, house of Israel, but for my holy name, which you have profaned among the nations where you went. I will honor the holiness of my great name, which has been profaned among the nations, the name that you have profaned among them. The nations will know that I am the Lord. This is the declaration of the Lord God. When I demonstrate my holiness through you in their sight. For I will take you from the nations and gather you from all countries, and I will bring you into your own land. I will also sprinkle clean water on you, and you will be clean. I will cleanse you from all your impurities and all your idols. I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit in you. I will remove your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. I will place my spirit within you and cause you to follow my statutes and carefully observe my ordinances. You will live in the land that I gave your fathers. You will be my people, and I will be your God. I will save you from all your uncleanness. I will summon the grain and make it plentiful. I will not bring famine on you. I will also make the fruit of the trees and the produce of the fields plentiful so that you no longer experience reproach among the nations on account of famine. You will remember your evil ways and your deeds that were not good. And you will loathe yourselves from your iniquities and detestable practices. It is not for your sake that I will act. This is a declaration of the Lord God. Let this be known to you. Be ashamed and humiliated because of your ways, house of Israel. As we read this passage, I hope that it kind of caught your attention like it did mine. I was actually preparing for 37, but 36 was just so rich with what we're doing at the communion table. And I began to think about, as we look back, 
And it said, remember the things that you've done. Remember the detestable acts. Remember the things that you've done against me. Remember what I've done in the process and the things I'm going to do in all of this. And I began to think about this from a wrap-up standpoint, from the, the year 2019, from, from the decade from 2010 to 2019, what, what does it look like in my life? What have I done? How have I reached out to people? How have I done what God has called me to do? In my life, have I made a lasting impact on my community, on my family, on my church, on the people? Have I made a lasting impact for eternity? This was a question that I was asking myself, and I began to to really let it stir and churn. And as I asked myself that this morning, and I asked you this for this very reason, the reason why that was so heavy on my heart as I read this passage is this, God has saved me. And God, if you believe in Jesus Christ, has saved you. And this table that we're coming together to gather around helps us remember that. God has changed me. That's what this passage is talking about. Having a new heart from a heart of stone and having a new life and having new passions and having new desires. The question is, is what have I done with it? How has my life changed over the last 10 years? How has my life changed over the last 10 months? How has my life changed? And how has it affected others in the process? See, he, he saved me. And we'll come together and we'll say, God, thank you for sending your son. That's what this is about. But for what? What did you do it for? Why did you do it? Why did God do all of this for all of his people and for me? Why did he do what was said in Ezekiel 36? Why did he do what we're going to read in 1 Corinthians? Why did he do it? Is it just so I can be a better person? Is it just so I can have a better moral compass? I mean, that's kind of what every other religion's about. Is that what Christianity is about? Is just being a better person and, and making better choices? Or is there something more? Something different? Something different. And I ask this question both from the, the perspective of the Old Testament passage as well as from the New Testament and the table that we're going to come to. Is there something different about Christianity that should make us different too? And the simple answer is yes. Yes. Yes, Christianity is different, and not just different. It is radically different than all other religions that are out there. And you know what? As a result, we should be radically different than all the other people out there, too. But are we? And one of the things we do at a table is we come to examine ourselves. We examine who we are and why we do what we do. And we're going to have to ask ourselves some tough questions by the end of today, and But before we even get there, I want to talk about why Christianity is so radically different and why this table matters so much. And the first thing I think we need to understand is this. Why we need to be different, why Christianity is different is that there's nothing that you can do to earn God's love for you. There's not another religion in this world that is like that. Christianity stands alone, that there is nothing we can do. This table that is sitting right here that represents the blood poured out and the body broken, it's not because it was some award for us, that we finally did good enough to earn it. That's not what it's about. It's all about God. To be a Christian, we have to realize there is nothing that we can do to earn God's love for us. See, we need to remember the context of the passage where Ezekiel is at. God is punishing his people. 
for their rampant idolatry, their rampant sin, all the things that they're doing against him, the rebellion against him, yet he says, this is what I'm going to do. I will do these things. Despite your sin, I'm going to restore you. And it never says, I'm going to restore you after you do blank. It's, I'm going to restore you because you are my people and I love you. Here's the thing. I started looking back at that passage and I said, how many times does it say, I will, as we read it? How many times does it say, I will? So I went back, starting in verse 22. It says, therefore, say to the house of Israel, this is what the Lord God says. Now, crazy thing here. I'm not sure if you've gotten into the Mandalorian at all on uh, Disney+. Plus. Love it. It's already over. I'm already bummed. I have to wait till next fall for season two to come out. But there's a character on there that when he say it, after it was all done, he said, I have spoken. I say that in my house. It doesn't go very far. But, but God, when he says it, it goes real far. He says, I have spoken. And this is what it says. This is what the Lord says. It is not for your sake that I will act. Who's acting here? It's all about him, right? The house of Israel, but for my holy name, which you pervade among the nations. Now, we can start circling the I will, starting in verse 23. I will honor the holiness of my great name. Verse 24, for I will take you from the nations and gather you from all the countries, and I will bring you into your own land. Then verse 25, I will also sprinkle clean water on you, and you will be clean. I will cleanse you from all your impurities and your idols. Verse 26, probably one of my favorite passages or, or verses in the middle of this passage. I will give you a new heart, and I will put a spirit within you. I will remove your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. Verse 27, I will place my spirit within you and cause you to follow my statutes and carefully observe my ordinances. Verse 28, you will live in the land that I gave you. You will be my people, and I will be your God. I will save you from all your uncleanness. I will summon the grain and make it plentiful. I will not bring famine. I will also make the fruit of the trees and produce fields plentiful so you will no longer experience reproach among the nations on account of famine. Verse 31, we'll skip. That's the only time he doesn't say I will. Verse 32 says this. It's not for your sake that I will act. This is a declaration of the Lord God. Let it be known to you. Who's he doing it for? It's for him. But the question is, is who's doing it? There's no point in time in the middle of any of that that we are doing anything. It's all about God. Thirteen times in 11 verses, God says, I will do these things. Not you do it, and then I'll do some things, and we'll meet in the middle and have a contract signing party. Never the case. It was never about us. I'm going to do these things, and that's exactly what the New Testament of the Bible talks about as well. Think about Ephesians chapter 2. Ephesians chapter 2, the first three verses lay out the same things kind of Ezekiel 36 says about us and our human condition. It says this, 2 verse 1 says, And you were dead in your trespasses and sins, dry bones, dead, not mostly dead, all the way dead, in which you previously lived according to the ways of this world, according to the ruler of the power of the air, the spirit now working in the disobedient. We too all previously lived among them in our fleshly desires carrying out the inclinations of our flesh and our thoughts, and we were by nature children under wrath, as the others we were also. I mean, that's a pretty humbling description of who we were, turning aside from God, rebelling against him, chasing after the prince of this world, the power of the air. But then 
verse 4 has a hinge statement right in the middle of it all. Two words, two words I swear someday if I ever get reading a book, I'll try and write one as well. It's all about these two words, but God. But God. Not me, not you, but God. Rich in mercy, it says in verse 4. But God, who is rich in mercy because of his great love that he had for us, made us alive. That's him doing it. With Christ, even though we were dead, not mostly dead, dead in our trespasses, you are saved by grace. He also, this is God, raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavens in Christ Jesus so that the coming ages he might display the immeasurable riches of his grace through his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. Remember he said, this is for me. It's not even for you. It's for me and my glory. For you are saved by grace through faith, and this is not from yourselves. It is a God's gift, not from works, so that no one can boast. Who is doing all the action here? God is. God is doing all of it. It's going on and saying, when it even talks about us, it's very passive. Hey, guess what? You have been saved by grace. By grace, you have been saved. It's not done by our works, but instead by faith. Not done by what we can do, but by faith. In Christianity, in Christ, you are saved from your sin solely by the grace of God. That is what this table is about. That is what we remember. That is what we celebrate. That's when we come together and say, God, you've given me another year to live for you. How exciting is that? See, we're cleansed from our idolatry. Ezekiel 36 says you're cleansed from your uncleanness. You have been given an entirely new heart. How and why? On what basis? Purely on the basis that God loves you. Not any other reason. See, here's the deal. There's no point in time the Bible says, so here's a list that you need to fix if you want to come to me. Here are the, the checklist. Here you need to climb this ladder. Here you need to fix that. Here, check these boxes. Here, get this cleaned up, and then you can come to me. Nope. God actually says, I will make you clean. I will come to you and make you clean. That is the promise of Ezekiel 36. That is the promise that we talked about last week when we said, Emmanuel, God with us, that he was going to step down to make us clean. Over and over and over again, we see that. Jesus came to pay the price for our sins. Jesus came, he lived a perfect life for us. And even though he had no sin, even though he was perfect, he paid the price for sin. And he died on the cross for sin. Not for his, but for ours. How huge is that? Then he rose from the dead in victory over death and over sin. And Jesus did all of that because we couldn't do it on our own. It made it possible for us to have a relationship with God. That is what this table represents. I loved when Jerome prayed, said, don't let it just be white noise in our life. There's something that we do. We celebrate the fact that we have life because of God sending his son to live, to die, and to raise again for us. It's all through faith in Jesus, not our works for God that this happens. That leads to a question of how. How can you be saved from your sin? How can you be saved from your sins against the one true holy God? Well, it simply says to believe in his love. To believe that Jesus Christ is Lord and that he died on the cross for you and you will be saved. That's what Acts 16.31 tells us. What's your first response to that? 
was pretty simple. Maybe a little too simple. There's got to be a catch, right? There's got to be some list. There's got to be something in there. But the Bible says this is salvation, and it's free. It's free. The basis of Christianity, there's nothing you can do to earn God's love for you. This is the core statement. God gives it freely to anyone who will trust in him. Those who trust in Jesus, whether it's today or the, for, for the very first time, or, or those who have trusted in Jesus for their entire lives, this should give you this feeling of peace inside. T- to know that you don't have to have a performance-based religion when it comes to Jesus. That is why I said this is so radically different. And I think we miss it oftentimes. See, I I talk to so many Christians so often that feel defeated as if they're not measuring up to what God would want. And the truth is, is we can't measure up to what God wants. That's why he sent his son, Jesus. See, God's pleasure in us is not based on our performance for him. God's pleasure in us is based on Christ's performance for us. What Christ has already done, if you're trusting in Jesus, you can rest in the fact that God loves you. You can rest in the fact, and you can live your life accordingly. See, sometimes we read in the Bible and we think, well, if it doesn't matter what our works are, then then I can live any way I want, right? And the answer is, is yes. You can live how you want as a follower of Christ. However, we need to understand something, that if you are a follower of Christ and your heart is no longer stone, has been made flesh, your wants have changed. Your wants have changed. Your passions, your desires, your loves have changed. And we can live as we want. See, that's the second thing I want you to understand. I told you the first one is, is that we can't earn God's love. The second one is that your life is not your own anymore. When we come to this table, when we see Ezekiel, it's not ours anymore. When we become a Christian, our hearts change. When we become a Christian, our minds change. When we become a Christian, our desires change. And it's a growth process. It doesn't happen overnight, but it changes in us. And, you know, here's the thing. I'm going to keep this simple and to the point. But here's the thing that, that we get confused at with, with Christianity. Sometimes... We think Christianity is about us. And it kind of comes from a statement that we even sing a song about. Jesus loves me. And and that is a, a great statement, but it's not the core of Christianity. See, God loves me is a partial core of Christianity. God loves me for his glory is the complete statement. God loves me for his glory. See, when we look at Ezekiel 36, 22, it says these words. By design, everything centers on him. God ultimately loves us not for our sake, but for his sake and his glory. Look what it says in Ezekiel 36, 22. Therefore, say to the house of the Lord, this is what the Lord God says. It is not for your sake that I will act, but for my holy name. Those are heavy words. It is for him and by him that all this happens. See, when we say God loves me, who is the object of that Christianity? Me. And that means that me celebrates everything that I want to do on Sundays and everything I want on on 
the, the prayer meetings or what things I want to do, it, it all revolves around me. But when we say it is about God loves me for his glory so I can live for his glory, everything shifts the focus to God. And that's where it needs to be. See, even in verse 26 and 27 that I've already talked about, I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit within you. I will remove your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. I will place my spirit within you and cause you to follow my statutes and carefully observe my ordinances. See, this is telling us that that as a Christian, you're not the one in in control here. That that the spirit is going to come inside and he is going to guide you and he is going to direct you and, and he's going to help you live your life, and cause you to actually want to worship God. You know, I always find it funny, and I'm going to say this, and some people might get mad at me, so I'm just going to preface it with that, okay? Maybe you're already mad before I've already said. But here's the thing. When people don't want to go to church, and they say, well, I just don't like the worship, and I just don't, I don't like the people. Can I just tell you that you probably don't want to go to heaven? Because heaven for eternity is going to be worshiping God. So if you don't like it here, you're not going to like it there either. So we need to shift our thinking, and that shifting of thinking comes from the Holy Spirit because we're not going to do it on our own because we are naturally rebellious people with hard hearts. The Spirit is the one that makes us want to worship God with all our hearts, all our soul, all our mind, all our strength. That's why I say, as a Christian, you can live as you want because as a Christian, your wants should have changed from the rest of the world's wants. Because we know we're not our own. As a matter of fact, 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 19 and 20 says these words. Do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you? That Holy Spirit's in us. Whom you have from God. You are not your own, for you were bought with a price. So glorify God with your body. Can I ask you what price we were paid for with? The table, right here. That is what we're paid for with. See, the Christian life isn't about coasting into heaven after getting saved, after praying a prayer. It is about glorifying God. There's so much more. When we realize the amazingness of his grace that is represented right here at this table, that he is the one that sent his son for us, it should change the way we respond in our lives for his glory. If I have a closing challenge for you today, It is this, that New Year's is only a few days away, and New Year's resolutions are going to be out there, and they're going to say, hey, I need to lose weight. Hey, I need to get myself financially where it needs to be. Hey, I need these things. But can I challenge you today that your New Year's resolution would be to examine your life? Examine your life, because that's really what the purpose of this table is anyway. That's what Paul talks about in 1 Corinthians 11. He says, I want you to examine your your life before you come to this table. But I want you to examine your last year. I want you to examine your last 10 years. I want you to see how God has changed you. I want you to see and examine how he's worked in your life for his glory through the blood of Jesus. That new heart and that new spirit that is within you. And then, can I challenge you to give thanks for it? As we go into 2020, don't just give thanks for it in the days that we do communion. Give thanks for it every day. And if you look back and you haven't seen any changes in the last year, if you haven't seen any changes in the last 10 years, especially growth spiritually, can I ask you to examine who the object of your Christianity is? Is it you or is it God? See, that's a tough 
question to ask. And I know it's hard, but, but here's the reality. As you go into the new year and you say, hey, I need to lose weight. I need to change myself financially. I need to get out of debt. I need to, and you can fill in whatever blank it is. Isn't it because you're asking yourself the hard question, am I fat? Am I broke? Am I? Those aren't easy questions, but when you ask those questions, you have to have a response to it. We have to look and say, am I making Jesus the priority? Is my life revolving around him? See, Paul wasn't praising the church at Corinth when he actually wrote the stuff we're going to talk about here in just a second. He was actually on their case about it, saying, guys, you are doing this the wrong way. Check your heart. Check your motive. Can I challenge you today to check your heart and check your modem as we read these words penned by Paul to the church at Corinth? 1 Corinthians 11, 23 through 26 says, For I have received from the Lord what I have also passed on to you. On the night when he, Jesus, was betrayed, the Lord Jesus took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he also took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is a new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. See, today we remember the goodness of God and the gift of his son, Jesus Christ. We we look over the past year at the changes that have made because of the gift of God and the goodness of God. We look over the past decade and see the changes because of the gift of God and the goodness of God. And over the course of our lives, we can look back and say, God, I see what you're doing, and I see what you've done. Sometimes I like it, sometimes I don't, and we look back. I'm going to ask you today, if you've never experienced that goodness, or you look back and say, I I don't know what you're talking about, today's a great day to meet Jesus. Today's a great day to get that new heart. How about a new heart for a new year? What an amazing thing that would be. If you've never accepted Jesus Christ as your Savior, if you've never said, I believe that he is the Lord of my life, Today's the day to make it happen. If you have, today's the day we celebrate it. Today's the day we celebrate it. You don't have to be a member of our church in order to take communion. You just have to be a follower of Jesus. You don't, you don't have to, to regularly even attend. You just have to be a follower of Jesus. Because that is what we're doing here. We're proclaiming that Jesus is Lord until the day that he returns. We're going to respond with four or five songs. And as we do, the table's going to be open. You can come as you want. You can come as an individual. You can come as a family. You can not come at all. If you don't feel the right place, if you're examining your life and say, God, I'm not ready for this just yet, that's fine. It's between you and God, this communion thing. So I want to challenge you after I close in prayer. I'm going to kind of slide back to the back. If you want to talk to me about Jesus, let's do that. But in it, as we sing these songs, may the words be more than just words on a screen. Maybe the words from our heart, our new heart, that have said, God, be glorified in all of this. And come, like I said, as you want, any time during those four songs. Let's pray together. Father, thank you again for who you are. And thank you for what you continue to do and how you continue to work in our lives. And God, I, I'm thankful that you're still working on me. I know I'm far from perfect, but God, I'm also far from where I was. And that's not because of me, but that's because of you. And you giving me a new life. And you giving me a new heart. And you giving me your Holy Spirit to guide me and to direct me. And God, as I think about this table, I don't ever want it just to become something about a, a small cracker and, and some grape juice. But instead, God, help me to remember what it represents. 
that you sent your son from heaven to be with us, to live with us, to live among the people, to, to make us a part of your living experience, and then to die for us so that we could have a relationship with God. God, we just give you all the praise for it this morning. Help us if we ever think about it about anything else. Instead, shift our focus to you. We pray it in your name. Amen.